This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero G, science fiction, fantasy and historical radio for episode number 1223. Our title is Year of the Planet is Gone. Year of the Pig, Year of the Planet is Gone. There you go. Podcast title is The Wandering Pod. And I am Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. And thank you, Megan, for putting me on to um, Carmen San Diego. <laughs> yes, I saw you <laughs> flicked me a note and you said that you were thoroughly enjoying it. You're probably further than I am because I haven't had a chance to watch any more, but you're you're liking it. Yeah, it, it's a it's a Netflix cartoon show about the um, the old uh, video game and game show actually character. Uh, it's also a cartoon series back in the day, and they've re- rebooted it. Though they have not rehatted it, she still has that distinctive uh, big red. Yes. Yes. Oh, I'm so. And how far are you? Have you watched? Um, The last one I just watched was the one about the Opera House. Oh, I haven't watched that. And the Opera Carmen, which is playing. Very cute. (laughs) Very cute. Which gives them a chance to use their Aussie character. If you remember, there's. Yes, there is. There's an Australian character. Yeah, she's um she's a thief who steals from thieves. Yeah. Yeah. Like a modern day Robin Hood. I want um, I want uh, an action figure. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I wonder if they have any. I think I, you said that they've got some dismal-looking ones. Oh, they've got the pop vinyl ones, but, you know, and I can they take those or leave way. them, but yeah. sometimes they just all they, they, they look the same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they just change the colours and make the eyes look bigger or smaller. Now, speaking of action figures, uh, what did I bring in today? I bought the Jodie Whittaker ah. 13th Doctor action figure, which I'll pass over to you so you can have a play with it. <laughs> <laughs> and um, oh, it's a pretty good likeness, actually. It is, isn't it? It's a very good sculpt. Uh, it, it it fits into the same sort of general range of Doctor Who figures that they've been releasing. Yeah. Uh, so you'll find that it will um, be compatible with those. They've given her a bit of regrowth for no reason. <laughs> a what? Sorry? Her hair doesn't really look like that. What's regrowth? What's She's that? She's got, like, black roots and the rest of her hair is blonde. Oh, okay. It's very bizarre. <laughs> Maybe she's burnt it with the, the, the sonic hair-curling wand that she's carrying. <laughs> she's pretty bendy. Yeah, well, they all they all usually are. That's just me uh, dropping my bag around trying to find the um, the packaging. Yeah, they go. It's a, it's a BBC figure with a choking hazard warning on it. <laughs> <laughs> Good. I'm glad you told me. It is Doctor Who. Um, Don't chew on it. And uh, it is from uh, character options as usual, and these these are only about you know if you if you held your thumb and your forefinger apart that would be about the span of the figure actually. Yes, quite small and nifty, pocket sized. Um, yes, and, and she has that uh, that the, all of the distinctive paraphernalia of of this doctor and other yes. doctors: long fluffy coat um, and uh, a shirt with a, a rainbow stripe across it. Which is a reference to all sorts of things, mm. really. But um, as people have pointed out, it's like uh, Mork from Mork and Mindy's, like his suspenders. Oh, and yeah, 
Okay. All sorts of things, you know, apart from the LGBTQI references as well, which is very timely in the world. And can't stand yeah. up on her own, though. Are they meant to be able I, to stand yeah, up on her own? Yeah, they can. You have to. You can put her in the uh, I've got a sonic screwdriver pose, you know. Oh, you have to kind of pose it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not doing a very good job of this. She does, she, <laughs> I'll pass it back. Pass it back. She does, she does actually have a sonic screwdriver with her as well. Uh, I'm a little disappointed that they can't. you can't take the coat off, but since the sleeves are moulded onto the arms, it would just look silly. Yeah. You know, so I guess that's that's it. But I think it's an excellent likeness. I, I don't know if they're using laser scanning to uh, to do it quite possibly. Possibly not. But, yeah, yeah her, her hair is sort of uh, rather more it's darker than I weird, thought. It's a weird, isn't it? Anyway. I guess it's just the way that it's painted, you know. Anyway, I actually like the soft grey of the coat on this one. Yeah, I feel like it's um, and it's a little bendy. And she's got those fabric. Uh, actually, the inner lining of the coat—I've never noticed this before. It's mm. Tardis blue. Yeah, it's like a contrast colour. Yeah, and she's got those boots with the, um, you know, her, her her trousers are just yes two inches short of her boots. What is with that? What sort of look is that? I think that's very in right now, it is. Rob, actually. Yeah, okay. All right. Well, yeah. So it's good to see that the 13th Doctor has made it into plastic. Excellent. And um, I've uh, burnt a track off of um, uh, the soundtrack album, of which isn't actually – I don't think it's actually available yet, but you can get it online in iTunes. And this is um, by Segun Akinola featuring Holly – Buhagia, and it is just called The Doctor from Series 11's soundtrack album. This is Sir Derek Jacobi. Zero G or not zero G? That is the question. Uh, well, yeah, there you go. When you burn a CD, sometimes it doesn't work quite as well as others. <laughs> it's a track for dogs. Actually, have you, have you know, this is a technical thing. Have you noticed sometimes when you do your, um, your compilation discs that it will give you the um, the tracks in the wrong order on the listing. Yeah. If you don't select all. I don't know. I've, it's been a while since I burnt a CD, if I'm going to be real with you. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Off iTunes, though. Yeah. You really shouldn't do that. No, I don't know. I think it's just a, one of those glitches. You know, I miss the, I miss the original iTunes, the very first iteration mm. of it. I don't even remember It was what so simple. Like. It just worked <laughs> every time. Anyway, um... I also wanted to uh, mention that um, we have, uh, well, you know, a birthday celebration of some sort. Um, Jerry Goldsmith, the great yes. um, American Lovely. composer, uh, born on the 10th Superman? of... Superman? No, no, that's uh, John Williams. Ah. 10th of February in 1929, uh, although I wouldn't swear that um, Goldsmith didn't do any later Superman movies, but... Um, Anyway, uh, uh, he passed away in 2004, so, you know, this is really... This would have been his 1929 to um, 2019. Uh, would that be, like, 90th birthday or... I don't know. <laughs> I'm struggling... In case you haven't realised, I'm struggling with hay fever at the moment. My brain is sort of full of grey fluff. <laughs> so, You're doing pretty well all considered, though. Okay, so we shall... Thank you. We shall play a track from the Star Trek The Motion Picture score. Now, this is a really big um, three-disc score that uh, La La Land Records brought out a while ago, and it's got all of the musical cues and main title themes, etc. by 
by Goldsmith on from Star Trek the Motion Picture, which is in its uh, it's 2019, so it's having an anniversary too this year. Uh, all of those tracks plus alternative tracks and sound effects and stuff. So really recommended if you have a, if you're a Star Trek the Motion Picture fan and you want to get that soundtrack. That is the one, the free disc set from La La Land. And so we just go with the uh, the main title theme, which is one of my favourite pieces of music ever. I'm Terry Pratchett, the undeservedly famous author of the Discworld novels, so you can believe me when I say that Zero-G on 3 R is the finest science fiction and fantasy show this side of the black stump. I also think Dibbler's delicious pork sausages are the finest eating anywhere, anywhere in the world, so you know you can trust me on this. Ha 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 ha, with three exclamation marks. Yeah, that was the overture from Star Trek The Motion Picture by Jerry Goldsmith, just celebrating the late great American composer's career in music there. Now, I've been watching um, Star Trek Discovery. I keep calling it Star Trek Disco. (laughs) And was very happy to hear this week, um, and you may not have seen it yet because it's just, it drops on the weekend kind of thing. Usually I give you a little bit more space than that. But just one minor spoiler, we find out that Ensign Tilly's um, favourite childhood song was um, Space Oddity. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so cool. <laughs> and, of course, um, uh, Stanitz uh, knew the words too and sang along. Uh, I thought that was so wonderful. Nice little bit. I'm actually really enjoying... Um, uh, Star Trek Disco uh, at the moment. They're three episodes into the second season. Uh, it's very, very Star Trek now. The um, the plots have focused in upon uh, all sorts of things that I found extremely relevant to old-style Star Trek, and I mean classic Trek, uh, but also because it's in close, it's sort of in uh, close temporal proximity to that, to the extent that they've got some crossover characters from Captain Kirk's time on board this Enterprise and Discovery, but earlier... <laughs> so we've got ah. Christopher Pike, who was the captain of the Enterprise before Kirk. And, uh, well, we haven't run into Mr. Spock yet. Not yet. But we will. They're teasing that. They're being very, very teasy. And um, uh, it's it's just a wonderful show at the moment. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. The, uh, the, fir- the Klingon episode that they had earlier on in this season was uh, really ruthless and rough and tough. Yeah. And, oh, goodness. Anyway, um, I wanted to move on from all of that uh, just to um, talk about uh, an actor who has passed away who's been described as the hardest working man in Hollywood um, because he's done so many different movies in his time. In his actual career, um, if you look at his face, just for example, have a check out his IMDb profile, and you can see he's like done over a hundred movies, all bit parts basically. Uh, we're talking about Dr. Richard Dick Miller, and he's got a PhD. He had a PhD in psychology. He was born on December the twenty fifth in nineteen twenty eight, and passed away on January the thirtieth this year. Uh, he's a New York born U.S. American actor and writer. And as I said, over a hundred films. He's worked with Roger Corman, James Cameron. He's worked on every Joe Dante film, so very big in the genre. Uh, he's worked with Quentin Tarantino and Martin Scorsese. Uh, and he's one of those faces that you'll go, I know that guy. But other than that, he'll just appear and just sort of wander off out of the script. Um, let me think, just uh, one particular role that I remember him for, uh, again, 
tiny little role. He's the um, the guy in the gun shop who sells the Terminator the weapons <laughs> and then gets uh, presumably killed for his trouble. Wow. You know, so it's just those little things. Uh, one of his earliest acting roles uh, back in 1955 was a film called Apache Woman. Uh, you know, it's one of those westerns from that era. Uh, not only does he play an Indian, not only does he play uh. a townsfolk, <laughs> so he's like in the town. He's also one of the uh, the Native Americans. But um, the his, uh, his his townsperson character shoots his Indian character. <laughs> oh, God. You know, wonderful bit of energy. <laughs> Uh, he was also in, uh, well, as I said, The Terminator, um, Small Soldiers, doing a voice, a bit of voice acting, A Bucket of Blood, The Little Shop of Horrors, uh, both of the Gremlins movies, Explorers, Piranha, The Howling. And, and here's the thing. Uh, in The Howling, he plays the, um, uh, what's he play, uh, an occult bookstore owner yeah. called Walter Paisley. And he actually plays the same named character six times in uh, different films. Uh, part of that's just being funny on the director's part. Part of it's just fate, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, from He was in A Bucket of Blood where he's um, a snuff artist who um, is, I think he's uh, using actual people for his sculptures, you know, one of those sorts of crazy people. Uh, he's a police officer in Night of the Creeps. And I also noticed that he did two short movies in 2015 uh, where he plays a character called Walter. So I don't know if he's doing this. same <laughs> <laughs> um, So, yeah, uh, Dick Miller, hardest working man in Hollywood. And you'll, you'll, you'll see him in so many different films. Just go through that, like the, the IMDb, and see the, the characters in all of the different films and just think, wow, this guy was never, never out of a job. Uh, and so he just would have walked in for, you know, maybe a day or two days on a shoot and that would be it. <laughs> but he's also in, um, appears in uh, Rod Stewart movie, uh, music video for, for a track called Frustration as well. He just pops up there like in, as a photograph. It's kind of a, a stalkerish um, thing and I think he's like either a, an agent or a, a private eye or something like that. He's got it all going there. Um I didn't want to uh, uh, go on too long about that, but uh, there you go. Um, Dick Miller passed away, sadly. Uh, and also, of course, Albert Finney. Yes, I the, saw the that great as actor, well. Um, who I will always remember as, as one of the first um, Hercule Poirots in Murder on the Orient Express in 1974. Um, he's done so much stuff. I actually want to take some time and consider that, so I just wanted to mention that uh, in passing that he'd passed away, which is uh, very oh, sad. He's done quite a lot of really great films as well. Maybe we could mention and throw back to some of those if we yeah. do a bit of a longer piece on yes, him. Yes, I, I think we will, actually. There's a, uh, um, the, the, the historical genre is more his patch, but yeah. uh, there's some other things. I think there'll be some tidbits in there for us. Hmm. All right. Uh, we were going to play another track here. I think we'll play another Goldsmith track. Yes, I can play a Goldsmith track, or if you have one no, ready. please do. Uh, so I thought, I was just looking through his uh, repertoire, and I was like, oh, he did the Alien soundtrack. He did. So I thought we might play, we might as well just keep in uh, line with good main titles. So I just might play the main title from Alien. Hi, I'm George Takei, and I play Admiral Sulu in Star Trek. Welcome aboard the Starship Zero-G. Admiral? Hey, a guy can dream, can't he? 
<laughs> yeah, dreaming away there in hibernation. Yes, just a delightful space story. Uh, that was the main title from um, Alien by Jerry Goldsmith. Yeah, his soundtracks are always um, in, were always innovative. We're celebrating his uh, birthday on the tenth of um, January, uh, February, and. Um, you know, none more so than uh, Planet of the Apes. Mm. That's a really, really strong soundtrack. But but I love his stuff from Star Trek The Motion Picture, of course. And there were several films w- where he was riffing off a... Um, uh, I'll describe it as a, a, an ethnically Middle Eastern riff um, from a film that he did called... Uh, the uh, the um, Wind and the Lion with Sean Connery. Oh. And I think Candace Bergman It was a John... John Milias film, and um, the sort of Arabic riff he has for that, he later worked into Star Trek The Motion Picture as the Klingon theme, and then used that uh, thereafter whenever he did sort of Star Trek and Klingon stuff. So actually, like, not only did he set the pattern for the Federation music in Star Trek The Motion Picture, which then got rolled over into the title of Next Generation, but he also did the stuff for the Klingons too. Fascinating, I'm sure. I mean, there's so many great um, soundtracks. Pattern. Yeah. With um, George C. Scott, a great um, reflective soundtrack, which is not only accessing all of that World War II sort of gung-ho stuff, but the other side of that, the dark side of uh, General Pattern. Well, actually, being a, um, a tank general, I suppose, it's all pretty much dark side when you think about it, isn't it? <laughs> anyway. Uh, so many great soundtracks from Mr. Goldsmith over the years. And some good retro films I think I want to go back and watch, like Poltergeist, Gremlins. Yes, yes. Poltergeist is great. Yeah. I really love that. So film. is Gremlins, actually. Yeah. Great Christmas movie, Gremlins. Yeah, Gremlins are classic. And I think he did a few other newer ones, like Hollow... I mean, Hollow Man is not a good film. But I was just surprised looking at his uh, repertoire, what he had been involved in, so... Yeah. Yes, yeah, so I like the uh, the opening of um, Alien. It is just the classic... Uh, science fiction soundtrack that one yeah and it's all like 1970s those particular ones there's like alien and star trek the motion picture yeah so uh, you know there's this burst of ones around between 19 roughly 1977 and 1979 you've got and these are not all goldsmith tracks but you had star trek the motion picture superman movie close encounters of the third kind alien Mm. you know that's all all happening there. there's a big burst of that um genre-y kind of sci-fi. Golden age. Alien, space, biz. And um, even Rambo. <laughs> Some of the music And then that. Rambo. Rambo, yeah. Uh, and I think his last Star Trek one was Star Trek Nemesis, where he conducted some of the music for that. Was that considered a good... No. <laughs> Not by me, anyway. Um, but he he pulled out all the stops for the Star Trek Voyager TV series theme, yeah. too, which I remember. Uh, and he even worked on the um, um, the Mummy movie oh, with um, that, Brendan Fraser. The first one, I'll back it. I actually thought that was a pretty good actor. I think it's done. a fine Mummy film. <laughs> <laughs> they get out of control, obviously, but, uh, you know. Yeah, I just think he, he contributed so much to the... Uh, to the science fiction and fantasy genre over the years. Yeah. All right. Now, speaking of science fiction and fantasy, um, I would like to have a look at a movie that I saw on the weekend called The Wandering Earth. Yes. How was it? Big. <laughs> <laughs> that title is descriptive. It's literal. 
It is literally what happens in this movie. Okay. Um, it is. It is a huge Chinese science fiction film, mainland China, um, with a $50 million budget, which sounds quite low for this kind of movie. If mm. this would translate into, in the West, $150 million, something like that. Um, the special effects are worth the price of admission alone because it is epic. It is a huge, vast, humongous, which is a word they actually use in it, in the subtitles at least, uh, science fiction space opera. Yep. Uh, it's directed by, and forgive me, I'm as I said, I'm fuzzy-headed today, so I'm just going to go with the way it sounds to me, uh, Fran um, Guo, uh, who is a director who's um, done some, only a couple of other big films, mm. but they were very popular and one of them made, at least one made quite a bit of money. So they're happy to give him a little pool of money to, yeah, yeah. to go with. Um, Chinese science fiction movies, not a lot of them. Mm. Um, you know, there's a, there's a handful of them. Uh, and there have been some political reasons for that too. Yes. Um, but at the moment, you know, with the um, Chinese space program literally taking off and uh, <laughs> Taikonauts and space stations. I'm and learning sort of Mandarin, stuff. actually. Really? I should try to look. When you have one, I'll look up the names and no. <laughs> Maybe I don't want to attempt to pronounce them on air and just be horrible and embarrass myself and be possibly offensive. But uh. Shay Shay. <laughs> uh, okay, now. I remember uh, Stephen Chow's CJ7, which is about a very cute little alien monster that comes to Earth, and that came out in 2008. And Guardians of the Tomb, which is actually a recent Australian-Chinese science fiction horror thriller film. There are a couple of those, I think. And this is one that, because some of these, the joint ventures, as they call them, uh, Astro Boy in 2009, which was a Hong Kong-American animated film. And how was that? Oh, look, it wasn't the best, <laughs> uh, but it wasn't the worst. I used to like Astro Boy when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. Which one? You probably remember the 2000s one? No, I remember watching a cartoon when I was, like, young, young. So it would have been in the 90s. Oh, no, these are the 60s ones. Yeah, well, <laughs> so. <laughs> I was not devouring the ones in the 60s, no. No. I'm almost. I was almost scoffing there. I apologise. No, no, you were right to scoff. <laughs> I didn't realise it went back quite that let's, far. Let's go. Let's turn it into a cough <coughs> instead. All right, now. Um, uh, so, all right, this film is based upon a book or a, a story by a short story, actually, by um, uh, Leo Sershine, and that. I actually call it, say, Liu. Never mind. Liu Sershin. And he was, uh, he is a Chinese science fiction writer, nine-time winner of the Galaxy Science Fiction Award, which is um, China's biggest literary science fiction award, and winner of the Hugo Award as well. Nice. He writes very hard science fiction and has done the uh, the Free Body Problem, which is a trilogy from 2007. Um those books are – I've read the first one of those in that and I really do mean to get along to the other ones. It's kind of a, an alien invasion story mm. uh, but beautifully written and very dense. You know, if you really want to get your teeth into science fiction, that one is the one. <laughs> this one is by uh, directed by Fran Guo who has worked with at least 10 different writers. Oh. There's a lot writing on this film. That's interesting. Yeah. 
Uh, saying before he did some other movies, uh, My Old Classmate in 2014, which is one of those um, uh, Chinese uh, romantic multi-generational stories based upon a song. Intergenerational epic. I love it. Uh, it made a lot of money as well <laughs> because of that. Uh, and then the, the there's one which was more science fiction in 2011 called Lee's Adventure, which is about a... Um, uh, well, science fiction or fantasy. Sometimes the, the door is a bit, you know, wide for those definitions. Uh, and that's one of those ones where, you know, you enter the game sort of thing and there's some time travel and, and an adventure. So I can see where, sure. that, why they picked this as um, director. All right, to the plot of The Wandering Earth. Um, this is a trope that we have run through so many times in science fiction and a bit in fantasy as well, where they actually have to move the planet Earth using mighty earth engines why do they do this while the sun is swelling up and it's had enough of exploiting its solar energy maybe it's trying to do us a good turn with (laughs) much more solar energy we are definitely not exploiting its solar energy enough but sure (laughs) yes and it's about to destroy the solar system bad sun vengeful sun naughty soul uh so we have to move the earth and we're going to (laughs) no biggie yeah no biggie um we're going to take it right out of the solar system to Alpha Centauri, closest, uh, brightest star. And makes me wonder why they're not going to go to Proxima Centauri. Anyway, so um, <laughs> have I got that right? Again, fuzzy, sorry. <laughs> I get my stars confused when I'm I, a bit fuzzy-headed too. I do, too. I do. <laughs> not that you can actually see the stars from Beijing, uh, which is a joke in the film that everybody in the cinema laughed. Now, explain the circumstances of where I saw this. I went to Hoyt's Mid-City because it's hard to actually get this film. Yes. Um, uh, I think Hoyt's had it in the Mid-City. Crown had it in the – Village had it in Crown. Yep. Um, a few other of the regional cinemas have it, like have once or twice a day. that Hoyt's Melbourne Central does te- – that was it. Melbourne Central, yeah. yeah Does yeah. tend to get some of those international films, oh, I think. Oh, no, they have an Asian cinema um, – Oh, they have that yeah, specific program. One, don't, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's great. Because I was running running late due to public transport, but mm. thank you, public transport, for actually getting me there. Uh, I got the last seat in the cinema. Oh wow! It was full. So it's it it's was full. hype. So people are. Yeah, I must. Uh, you know, not to not to um, make assumptions about people's race based upon. Uh, just looking at them, but I think I can probably do that safely in this case, given the film. Yeah, um, it was basically an Asian pack cinema. Yeah, right. Um, lots of lots of happy students there, and uh, and it was a great experience actually. Um, and it helped cue me to some of the laughs that I maybe might not have get got, but I did all f- obviously laugh about Beijing's <laughs> pollution. Uh, what's the another joke in there? I'll get to that actually. The other joke that I did notice there. Um, so it does have a, it is a funny film. It is an epic film. In the in the range of Armageddon okay. or or the core, so tonally it's serious but not too serious. Yeah, okay, but actually better than those, oh, which okay. isn't difficult. Well, yeah, Armageddon and the core. You know. I mean, Deep Impact was my uh, you know meteor of choice. Yeah, that's a better film. I thought that was better. Film uh, and well, this is all about family. You know, mm. Chinese films often are. Um, which is actually no different from Western films. No. But usually 
there'll be um, sacrifices in the family. Yeah. And usually it'll be for a greater cause. And again, this is not that different from a Western blockbuster. No. These are some of the tropes we're quite used to seeing in that type of film, right? Yeah. So I actually think this really presses the tropic pedal right down to yeah. the floor. Yeah. Okay. So the sun is about to turn into a red giant. Uh, we've built these mighty earth engines and they are really big <laughs> you know think of the atmospheric processing plants in alien yeah uh, in aliens and then multiply them by about 10 this is fast things and, and was it the effects held up like in oh terms yeah. Of that stuff? yeah um these effects are the most effective i've ever seen in a chinese film um, they've done so well with these. Nice. And I think the effects did actually come mostly from a Chinese company. Oh, that's good. Uh, yes, base FX in um, in Beijing. But they also used Weta Workshop for their space oh. suits, um, the exoskeletons that they wear on Earth and weaponry and stuff. And cool. That really helped a lot too. Um, the sets are really detailed. Mm. And I love the way that they're all very industrial. And worn out in places. So, you know, right down to the switches having guards on them so that you don't accidentally press them in your bulky spacesuits and stuff. Uh, Now, because Earth has been moved, and it's going to take 2,500 years to get there, to to Alpha Centauri, because it's been moved, it's gone cold because they're further away from the sun Mm. and it will get colder. So it's you're kind of on like this... uh, uh, nuclear winter earth everything's frozen on the surface oh which is very sad you know there are some whales that are, oh um, god <laughs> awful <laughs> and all of this actually makes for a, an actually lyrically beautiful film mm. in a lot of places with the snow and and when we pick up this film they're getting near Jupiter so okay. Jupiter looms over this frozen landscape. Right. So okay. Uh, oh my god, it's, it's so stunning. If you if you really uh, are into it, see it on a big screen because it's the best place for it. Um, so to the family, uh, and that's this is the the actual ironically the core of the film. Um, we've got. I'm trying, I'll try and do this from the top. All right. Oldest to youngest in the, in the family unit because mm-hmm. that's important. Uh, Han, and I'm not going to even try with this because I'm very fuzzy today. Uh, Han Ziang is a truck driver. And when I say a truck, I mean a, a, tr- a transporter truck that's as big as one of those mining giants that mm-hmm. we see in the pit, oh, yeah. in the pits. Uh, a futuristic, of course. He's, a, he's an actor who's been in many a Hong Kong film. Um, oh, sorry, uh, no, Manta. He is um, has worked with Stephen Chow and Andy Lau, so he's a veteran sort of actor. He's playing the grandfather. Okay. Uh, he's been in um, Chinese Odyssey and both of them, and uh, Shaolin Soccer. And in this, he plays the father-in-law of a taikonaut, an astronaut called uh, Li Pingquan. And this Taikonaut, played by an actor called uh, Wu Jing, is aboard the Navigational Space Station, which is a massive artefact that's sort of flying ahead of Earth as a pathfinder. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. Clear the way. Yeah. And as a, unfortunately, it can't clear the way f- of Jupiter, <laughs> um, which is where everything starts to go come unglued. Uh, it's a communications hub, also a bit of a space arc mm. as well because they've got people in hibernation on it. Yep. Uh, and anyway, Han is the um, 
uh, sorry, not Han, uh, Liu is the main astronaut in this show, in this movie. Uh, he's friends with a, um, a Russian cosmonaut called uh, Mokarov. And you often get these sort of um, um, uh, sidekick um, uh, Western roles, especially in this film, which is yeah. meant to be international. You know, they're trying for the international market with this one. Like that Godzilla, the Shin Godzilla. Yeah. Had that too. Yeah. yeah, it's got that too. Um, actually, it could almost have Godzilla in it. It's such a big film in this. He'd fit right in there. Uh, now, he's, um, Wu Jing has been seen before in Tai Chi Boxer, uh, Fatal Contact, a lot of martial arts films. And speaking of The Mummy, he was the, one of the assassins in Tomb of the Dragon. Oh. Uh, True to the Dragon Emperor, which was his first American debut film. Um, he and his father-in-law actually um, never meet huh. in, in this because he's on the space station, his dad's on, on Earth huh. driving trucks. But they do have a quite good relationship through their children and grandchildren. Uh, now, the astronaut is the father of... Uh, Lu Kui, uh, a young boy who we see at several different phases of his life, um, who's a bit of a terror away. You know, he is that sort of uh, mm. um, unruly son. And he's been growing up on this dystopic world yeah. um, where everybody's living in underground cities as survivors because the surface is uninhabitable as they cruise along through space. Gosh. He's got an, an adopted sister um, and she is... There to be to have a little bit of a growing up story arc. Okay, as she sort of um, um, steps up to the situation, and also there to be rescued occasionally. But you know, it goes backwards and forwards. There, there are other groups in this uh, film. Uh, several units of rescue engineers okay. of varying competence, <laughs> uh, trying to restart the Earth engines at one stage. Um, the Russian cosmonaut I mentioned, <laughs> a guy called Tim. Tim. Uh, Tim from finance. <laughs> and they find him in a jail cell, so maybe wow. he was from finance. <laughs> he functions as the Chinese-American comic relief. Right. Right. But okay. he actually well, he actually is, is, is tagged as Chinese-Australian from Melbourne. What? And I would really like to know if they've actually done this for different markets. So, like, if you're, if you're in, like... Oh, it'll be, like, it's Tim from Boston in the US if yeah, it's in the US. Yeah, so I'm mm. wondering if that's the case. If anyone finds that out, <laughs> let me know. Let us know. Uh, yeah, and, and, and one of the jokes that they use, like I was talking about Beijing and air pollution, uh, um, they talk about him being authentic, which is that word that they use if you're authentic Chinese. Mm. You know, so there, there, there's that in there. Uh like I said, absolutely huge, epic film. Um, this trope of moving the earth has been done in so many science fiction shows. It's done in Doctor Who, for God's sake. Yeah. You know, um, with the TARDIS towed at once. Um, it's full-on action all the way through. Uh, so fast-paced, I lose track of where they are at, at stages because it's all frozen earth or space. Okay. Um, is it dodgy in the science? Probably, even though they had scientific advisors. Uh, I don't think you could actually do this to planets I guess if it's, without breaking them up completely. Yeah, if it's a far out enough concept, you kind of have a free pass because you're already being a bit ridiculous. Yeah. So you don't have to be too close. Like if you're doing The Martian, you yeah. have to be semi-close to reality, whereas this is just a bit too far, a bit far-fetched. So they've got a bit of a... 
Well, they did Freedom. things like I actually wonder because I know that the science fiction writer he's damn good with his science, the original writer. But I guess there's no precedent for no. So, so I don't. I could be totally just wrong. Cobble stuff together. Like they went to the trouble to talk about there are two types of planetary engines. There are the the main engines and the torque engines, which they use to stop the Earth's rotation, which cause massive tsunamis. And yeah. Because they put the brakes on. That basically. would be a bad thing. Uh, so you know maybe. For all I know, it does work. So I'm prepared to – I know what I'll do. I'll get online and i get on the Space Hipsters group. I'm which, sure on Reddit there's been a lot of discussion. <laughs> well, the Space Hipsters are NASA engineers. Oh, yeah, they would have dissected this. They will, you know. And what's his name? Neil deGrasse Tyson. Oh, yeah. He will, he will tell us all about that. I'm sure the internet will tell us. Yeah. Uh, but at the moment I just thought – I just rode along with it. Yeah. I'm going to give you a track here. Apparently it debuted to 300 mil in China. Yeah, it's big That's, in terms of uh, box office. Yeah. And uh, it's been doing quite well like in other markets, I think. Let's go to a tr- track um, called I Hope. Well, this is, <laughs> I, know it's, I know it's one by Kate Miller-Heidecker, who is an Australian singer who's just been awarded the distinct honour of having Australia a song in Eurovision oh. as the Australian entry. Oh, I didn't know that. I'm not yeah. very up on my Eurovision facts, to be honest. And she's got two two tracks that I wanted to play today. One of them is called Zero Gravity and the other is The Last Day on Earth. And I'm not quite sure which one this is. Fine, uh, we'll go with it. But, it's called, but I think this is Zero Gravity. All right, let's, let's see. Yeah. This is Raymond D. Feiss, scribe of Minkemia, and you're listening to Zero G, science fiction, fantasy, and historical radio. Oh, that ID wrapped up very quickly. Yes. That was Kate Miller Heidke. Oh, we probably should have looked up how to say that. Zero Gravity yes. on Zero G here yes. on Triple R. How can I? That's, a, that's our Australian Eurovision entry officially, the voting. When is Eurovision? Oh, when is it not? <laughs> with, that, with that title, how can I not like it? And, and in the music video, which you can find online, and, uh, she's wearing a multi-stage rocket dress that could have come straight out of uh, Minions, you know, Scarlet that's, Overkill. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> Well done, Kate. You know. And I actually only found out about her from looking on uh, um, uh, Clem um, Ford's uh, website. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, thank you for that, Clem. That's a, a great find there, Zero Gravity. <laughs> I know. Look, you're so stoked. <laughs> I'm so stoked about that. And she's got another song too called The Last... Um, Last Day on Earth as well, which we'll play at another stage. Love it. Since we're talking about The Wandering Earth, the big Chinese science fiction film. So would you recommend? Now, that's a really interesting question. Um, yeah, okay, you're a, you're a, a veteran science fiction fan is going to find it very tropey, mm-hmm. um, but it's still fun. It kind of would be interesting too, I guess, to see some of those tropes, but in a Chinese science fiction film. Yeah, there, like, there are different the... emphases on it, yeah. cultural emphasis. For example, it, it came out on uh, Lunar New Year's Day. Ah, they've planned that well, haven't and they? And it features in the film. Oh. Um, in the cultural respect that, uh, because I said it's a, a big family film, people are trying to get their families back together for New Year. Right, okay. You know, this, and this plays as an important thing. Yeah. In the same way that Christmas would. I was about to say in the disaster epic, it's getting together for Christmas, which would be... Well, I mean, and I think that's kind of... And that's what I mean, this nice way of looking at tropes, how they'd be rendered in like a more Asian culture or... And if you're trying to find... If you're trying to find one character to 
emphasise, particularly with, mm. um, you may find that difficult in a Western sense. Yeah. Not because, Tim from Melbourne? <laughs> no, 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 not really. <laughs> he actually reminded me of somebody from The Office, <laughs> Gareth. Oh, oh gosh, okay. <laughs> sure. Right. Occasionally, we'll only, a, only a nice one. Gareth. Maybe more like Gareth in um, Pirates of the Caribbean, you know, the actor. Oh, yeah, yeah right. Yeah, more like so him in that. a bit more gnarly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so, look, I'm really glad I saw it because it, it, it was something really different for me but mm. very familiar at the same time because they're actually trying for that international accessible film. Yeah. Uh, sometimes they succeed with it, sometimes they don't. Um, I could see when people in the audience were visibly moved um, by some of the... Uh, the emotional parts. Occasionally it got too much. Yeah, sure. They pushed it too far. Um, they, Considering that this is actually a big-budget movie, they really should have got some better translators for their subtitles. Oh, that's disappointing. It is, and it es- should not be the case. Especially if they're trying to angle for a wider, more international kind of release. Yeah, because some of it just is junk. Yeah. It makes no sense at all. Mm. And you're thinking, what is that? What are they trying to say there? Uh, all right. But you just they just needed some better subtitles. I suppose it's all. interesting. Like, there must be a lot of um, people in other, like, countries who get that with some of our Western stuff. Of course. And that's the thing. It's this opposite where you're like, oh, right, yeah. Look, you're probably familiar, familiar with the online meme sort of things where they, they, they use so-called Chinglish. Yeah. Know, um, things that are translated into Mandarin and, and they don't and then, make any sense. Yeah, or, you know. like, backwards and forwards yeah. and it just ends yeah. up being, yeah. But... The opposite does prevail. Mm. You know, there are times, especially because in uh, um, in the in script, in, you see words that are like that can be puns, and there yeah. are words that sound similar. Okay, so you can easily say the wrong thing and can get somebody will politely sort of <laughs> giggle and correct you. So <laughs> it works both ways. There, remember that. Um, yeah. Okay. The Wandering Earth. I give it a. Uh, uh, a year? Mm. Uh, is it a hell year? Or, I don't. I don't know. Um, but in in some cases, I, I push a bit higher in this because I really wanted to see it. Yeah, uh, I was curious to see how big epic space movie. Um, may there be many more because yeah. you know this is all zero G turf. Well, that's good in that if it's been doing well, hopefully that means they'll finance some more of this type of film in China. I'm, I'm a bit frustrated that it's not in more on more screens here. I mean, I suppose it's a subtitle <laughs> film. You know, that's yeah. always an issue. Um, for Western idiot audiences. I mean, it is disappointing, though, because there's plenty of, like, I suppose when you think about foreign language films, there's so many countries and, you know, they just don't show a wide range. They can't show a wide range. It is disappointing, though. Yeah. But interestingly enough, at least, you know, it's it's not in the art house cinemas, but it is in sort of the eclectic but part of the mainstream. It makes ones. sense if it's in the CBD because I guess there's, uh, you know, maybe the students that are populated around that area is easy to access, that type of thing. So. Yeah, my, my feeling was that it was very much a student audience. Yeah. And uh, that's that, that was that was the the general vibe going. And there. at least it's showing in a couple of places. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you're going to have a if you're going to have a, have a cinema to show it in, um, Melbourne Central is a good one because of being Melbourne Central, you know, yeah. you can get there. Sort it's of pretty, things. yeah, pretty accessible. Uh, so it's it's playing in limited general release yes. at the moment. The Wandering Earth, I, I think, well done. I mean, that's to pull off a, a film and just the look of it. Oh my goodness, you just. Blew me away, quite literally in many, 
many points, but you'll be sitting there as as a genre buff and going, oh, Snowpiercer, oh, Armageddon, oh, you know. Yeah, right. But um, yeah, it is That's what okay. it is. All right, now uh, the artificial intelligence in the film is called Moss. Yes. That's the the robot. Hell 9000, uh, Moon, an AI Proteus, yeah. So the, the Bowie's track today was... Um, Moss Garden. Moss Garden. Yes. Yeah. So we'll play that as we go out with Joe Brunetic coming back. Coming up next with Astral Glamour. And I guess what's on the plate for the next few weeks? Well, we've got to go and see um, Battle Angel. Yeah. It's very tricky to get along to that Another one, one that's hard to get yeah. to see. And I really, I, my jury is a bit out on that. I'm not too sure. And I, and I, <laughs> it looks a bit weird. I'm still, I'm still, I'm still waiting knee deep in gore with the Punisher season two. Of course. And actually the Oscars are coming up in a couple of weeks. And, you know, the shine goes on and off the Oscars for me. Yeah. Um, but I think I'll look up what some of the nominees are and try to get along to a couple, in a, you know, kind of round out my viewing in advance of that because um, I think there's still some nice sort of nostalgia elements to, to go along with the kind of Oscar season. And I mean, our next big thing, oh. as we know, is Captain Marvel in, yes. in March. But before we get to that, we'll have Stan and Ollie Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, kind of a historical t- a biopic about the, uh, the great comedy duo. Out. No, 21st of February, apparently. Okay, all right, so that's soon. And then shortly after Carol comes out in Captain Marvel, it will be Endgame. Yeah, in April. Yeah. So, so plenty to look forward to. Yeah, in the genre, as well as everything else. Um, South Korean zombie historical series called Kingdom on Ooh. Netflix. I really want to get into that next. Um, there's Russian Doll. Yes, I really want to watch that. It's been rated very highly. Yeah. It's been received really well. So there's lots to dig into. Yeah, we'll get there. Anyway. Until, Anywho. Until next week, we're still looking for Carmen Sandiego. <laughs> somewhere with Wally, I imagine. And uh, Joe Renetic coming up next with Astral Glamour. And here's Mr. Bowie. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, Rob. You have been listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. For more podcasts, information about upcoming events and our live stream, please visit our website at rrr.org.au.